our worst enemy is our ignorance. Our ignorance, not understanding something in particular, not understanding the way anything exists. We don't understand the way things exist. Consequently, we make lots of mistakes. Um, anyway, I won't repeat, but many, many, all of our sufferings and problems are coming from this uh, fundamental error, mistake in our perception called, we call it self-grasping ignorance, grasping, believing that the things we normally see are true, the things we normally see actually exist. Believing that is the source of our suffering. And the antidote is to develop the wisdom that understands and realizes the actual nature of things. We normally call this emptiness. In the verse that I introduced the first evening, in the introduction to how to transform your life, Geshla tells us the things that I normally see in dreams do not exist. Are we happy with that, aren't we? The things we normally see in dreams do not exist. Yeah, we get that. This proves that the things I normally see while awake do not exist. Hmm, not so sure about that. So we need to do some analysis to check. Reason, since both of these things are equally mistaken appearance. Okay, mistaken appearance means that uh, we believe that the thing that is appearing to us appears to us truly, objectively, inherently, from its own side, the things we normally see. Okay, that's what we believe. We believe things exist exactly as they appear. But as we can see in the example of the dream, in our dream, we believe that the things we normally see in our dream exist, but we know that they don't, because when we wake up, they disappear. There's perfect reason to prove exactly the same is true for our waking objects, the objects with our, we see with our waking mind. No. Uh, when we actually wake up from the deep sleep of ignorance, then we'll understand that the things we're normally seeing now uh, do not exist. But we can begin by engaging in the analysis we did with our body. Taking our body as an example. If our body uh, exists in the way it appears to, we should be able to find it. We should be able to point to our body without pointing to something that is not our body. <clears throat> so when we do this, <clears throat> if we, there's two ways of, do, of searching for an object. One is with ignorance, the other is with wisdom. If we search with ignorance for our body, it's very easy to find it. We just go like this, look, this is my body. And everyone says, oh yes, that is your body. <clears throat> that is my body, okay? This is just going with ignorance, just generally. We say conventionally looking. But if we want to be precise, like a scientist, <laughs> scientists want to know precisely what is the body and what is not the body. So when we do that search, we don't find the body. Yeah? For example, we point, this is my body. Well, the scientist will say, oh, so this is your body. I say, well, it's a part of my body. It's not my actual body, it's part of my body. 
Oh, so this isn't your body. Okay, let's remove it. Okay, behead me. So there's no head. Is this a body? No, that's not the body. So all eventually the parts all removed and there's nothing left. We can identify as the body. So then we cleverly think, oh, it's the collection of the parts. Anyway, we, we did this analysis the other night. Um, the collection of the parts can't be the body because it is a collection of things that are not bodies. And it itself is only a part of the body anyway. It's just a, if we remove um, anything that is not the body, we will not have a collection of parts of the body. Did you follow that? No. Okay, so I won't go back again. But we need to be um, extremely familiar with this analysis at the first instance. This is our first, um, how to say, this is our first way of establishing uh, the truth of uh, the way things exist. There are many other ways coming, but this is the first way is to do this analysis, to try to find the object when we do a precise search. And we know this, this, this searching is, is frustrating because the thing that we're searching for keeps appearing to our mind. When we stop searching for it, it appears very clearly. When we search for it, it disappears. <laughs> it's like a strange game, isn't it? When I don't look for it, it's there. But when I look for it, it disappears. So we need to repeat that analysis over and over again until we're satisfied the body we normally see is unfindable, cannot be found. Um, what do we find instead? <laughs> we find the absence of the body we normally see. The absence of the body we normally see. In other words, the ultimate truth of the body. And so we then need to understand um, about how things actually exist. The things we normally see don't exist. Does that mean to say things don't exist at all? Of course not. Things exist. Things exist. But how do they exist? Yeah. So this is when we begin to look at the um, conventional truth of phenomena and contrast it and compare it and think about it in relation to the ultimate truth of phenomena. So in the verse... Um, it says here, I will, so I'll just read it again. The things I normally see in dreams do not exist. This proves that the things that I normally see while awake do not exist, since both these things are equally mistaken appearance. I will never grasp at the things I normally see, but just be satisfied with their mere name. By doing this, I will liberate myself permanently from the sufferings of this life and countless future lives. In this way, I will be able to benefit each and every living being every day. Okay, so this, this last line, in this way, I will be able to benefit each and every living being every day. This is telling us what our motivation is for investigating the ultimate truth and the conventional truth and so forth. Our motivation has to be the wish to liberate all living beings from their suffering. Okay, so that has to, that's, what is that wish? It is bodhicitta. If we have the compassionate mind of bodhicitta as our intention, our motivation for studying, contemplating and meditating on emptiness, then makes our uh, study much easier. <laughs> much easier. Why? Because with that motivation, we're accumulating a huge amount, huge quantity of good fortune all the time. We're not just concerned for ourselves alone now. We're concerned 
to help all of our kind mothers to uh, um, get over their suffering permanently too. And we know, we understand the way to do this is to gain correct understanding of emptiness. So we start our process with um, developing uh, this great wisdom, as I said, like finding the absence of the things we normally see, the emptiness of the object. Um, but then we need to deepen that. We need to deepen it and to uh, understand that um, uh, objects appear as apparent, mere appearances. Or we say mere name, it says in the verse, doesn't it? Mere name. They, are, they exist as mere name, which is the conventional truth of uh, the object, not the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is its emptiness. Conventional truth is, is its existing as mere, mere name or mere appearance or mere imputation. They all have the same meaning. And that these two, uh, conventional truth and ultimate truth, are the same nature. They're the same entity. They're not separate. They're not different in some way. Right now we think they're very different. But um, as we'll see, uh, they're not <laughs> the same nature. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is um, uh, just finish off talking about emptiness at the, at the first level by referring to uh, all phenomena, which are categorized in eight categories. This is again all taken from How to Transform Your Life, the chapter on ultimate bodhicitta, if you want to study this later, or a study program like foundation program, it's a good idea. I suggest you all join foundation program at your local center and study this chapter with your qualified resident teacher so that you can liberate yourself and everyone else from suffering. It's perfect. So all phenomena are included within eight, eight categories, which are production, disintegration. <laughs> Maybe these sound a bit strange. Production, what do you mean? Well, your body is a produced phenomenon. Your chair is a produced phenomenon. Your laptop is a produced phenomenon. The room that you're sitting in is a produced phenomenon. All these things are produced. Okay, so there's one, one category, disintegration. So things disintegrate as well. Impermanence, permanence, these another two categories. Going, coming, singularity and plurality. So I'm not going to explain all these, don't worry, it's too detailed. We're just going to take one or two as an example to help us understand um, the ultimate truth of these things. So we should know, Geshe says, that all these eight phenomena that we normally see do not actually exist because if we search with them, for them with wisdom, they will disappear. Okay, so we take produced phenomena like our body. Um, the body we normally see appears to us, but it doesn't exist. Cannot be found. When we search with wisdom, we can't find our body disappears into its emptiness. However, <laughs> however, these phenomena appear clearly due to other causes and conditions. So although we, we discover um, the emptiness of our body in meditation, when we open our eyes, our body appears clearly to us, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so why? Why? It's appearing due to other causes and conditions. 
If we understand this, we understand emptiness at a deeper level. Okay? So, for example, use, let's use the weather, seeing as I'm in England right now, same in Canada anyway. If all the necessary atmospheric causes and conditions come together, clouds will appear. They are right now. Okay, if all the necessary atmospheric... So what is necessary in the atmosphere for a cloud to appear? You need water vapour, don't you? And you need a certain uh, air pressure. You need a certain level of humidity, a certain level of air pressure. You need a certain temperature. Okay? So when <laughs> these three things combine, probably other things too, then a cloud just appears. It just appears. Due to all those things assembling, all those causes and conditions coming together, clouds appear. So we need one example usually to start us off understanding something. If we take this example of the cloud, it's very easy to understand. Temperature, humidity, uh, what was the other thing, I don't know, air pressure, you know, all these various atmospheric conditions. Clouds appear, okay? <laughs> then those atmospheric conditions change, clouds disappear. It's very nice, like a dream, like, you know, creation and destruction. So, forth. so if we understand that, we can apply the same understanding, the same reasoning, we can say, to all other uh, produced phenomena, like our body, like our house, like our mother, like our father, like our everything, all of the phenomena that we're surrounded by. They come together, they, they arise, only in dependence upon causes and conditions that are not those objects. Yeah? Temperature is not a cloud, humidity is not a cloud, air pressure is not a cloud, etc., etc., etc. But when all these things come together, a cloud appears. <laughs> but if we try to find the cloud, it can't, it disappears. And when those causes and conditions cease, the cloud disappears anyway. Yeah. To our direct perception, it disappears. Everything's like that. So here in the book, um, Geshla gives the example of karma to try to help us to understand this. He says, where do all our good and bad experiences come from? So you're thinking, well, they come from my, my husband, of course, or um, whatever, my boss or something like that, isn't it? My good and bad experiences come from other people or other things. But we know that's not true, don't we? We understand. They are in truth the results of the positive and negative actions that we created in the past. If we're Buddhists, we believe in karma, so we understand. All the pleasant things are coming due to good karma arising. All the bad things are coming due to bad karma ripening. Negative actions ripening, okay? As a result of positive actions, attractive and agreeable people appear in our life. Pleasant material conditions arise, and we live in a beautiful environment, like Vancouver. But, as a result of negative actions, unpleasant people and things appear. I won't say any more about that, but so this, is what we, this is how we accept, we understand. Uh, not fully, we can't understand karma fully until we become a Buddha. You know, we can see the subtle relationships. But we understand, generally speaking, that from... Uh, virtuous or positive actions, the ripening of that action produces something pleasant for us, some, some good experience. 
or the appearance of beautiful things or beautiful people or whatever. <laughs> so concluding this little reminder about karma, Geshe says that the world is the effect, our world is the effect of the collective actions created by the beings who inhabit it. Interesting, isn't it? The world that we live in is the effect. It's an effect, this world. It's a produced phenomenon. Everybody knows that. It's produced. It's produced. But what produced it? What produced it were the actions of the beings who live in this world. <laughs> because these actions originate in the mind, specifically in our mental intentions, we can see that all worlds arise from the mind. So whatever world you're living in, your personal world, it's coming from your mind. So this is, this is like the dream analogy, going back to dreams. You know, we can see in dreams various pleasant things arise, sometimes various unpleasant things arise. They're all coming from our mind. And it's the same when we're awake. Pleasant things are arising, or unpleasant things are arising, all coming from karma, all arising from the inside, the inner projector of our mind. They're projecting our reality, projecting it outwards, three-dimensionally or five-dimensionally or however many dimensions you like, projecting this reality outwards. And then we're experiencing it as pleasant or unpleasant. But unfortunately, if we also have ignorance, then we are grasping at it as existing from its own side, nothing to do with our mind, independently existent and so forth. <clears throat> Mistaken understanding, mistaken awareness, mistaken appearance like this. But it's all finally, ultimately coming from our karma, all the appearances in our world. So once we understand how things arise from their inner and their outer causes and conditions, and they have no independent existence, then just seeing or thinking about the production of phenomena will remind us of their emptiness. Okay, so what this means is once we've understood this deeply, we understand that things can't appear unless various conditions come together, various causes and conditions. And once they're appearing, all that's appearing is the effect of those various causes and conditions, that's all. There's nothing from the side of the object. When those causes and conditions cease to function, that object disappears. It just disappears <laughs> because the cause and like the cloud, cause and conditions have stopped, so the cloud stops. <coughs> so when, then when, whenever we see any produced phenomenon, and they're all around us, aren't they? You look around, look at, look at your body, examine your own mind, it's a produced phenomenon. Just seeing it, just thinking about it will remind us that it doesn't exist from its own side. It will remind us of its emptiness. And so then we're focusing on truth, on reality, not grasping with our ignorant, stupid mind that's going to make us suffer so much. So instead of reinforcing, reinforcing, yeah, that's a reinforcing, instead of reinforcing our sense of the solidity and objectivity of things, we will begin to see things as manifestations of their emptiness with no more concrete existence than a rainbow arising out of an empty sky. 